0: Uh, Something that happened during the week. I haven't told Jane about this. Uh, She's not sitting here, so, you know, it's okay. She's listening outside. Uh, This week, uh, something happened. And uh, I've been a chaplain for quite a number of years. And I've never missed the Year 12 formal. I've always gone to the Year 12 formal because it's the last chance I really get to say goodbye and see the Year 12s that I've been working with for five or six years. And it's a great night. of hanging out with them and connecting with them and and, seeing, and saying goodbye to them. So I've never missed a year 12 formal. And um, that has been great because I never had to pay for it either. The school has always bought my ticket. So it's always, the school has always paid that for me, which I've been very blessed by my school, that they allow me to do that. And, and this year, I got an email saying that the usual funds that will pay for your ticket have been used up. We had some expenses and some unforeseen things, and there's no money to pay for your ticket this year. And so I was like, so if I want to go, I've got to pay myself. And I was like, oh, okay. So I had to think about it. And the price of the formal is $100. So it's not like 50 bucks, not like 20 bucks. It's $100. I need to, you know, think about this. But I didn't want to break tradition. And so uh, I bought my ticket, $100. And I'm like, wow, $100. And then the same week, during the week, somebody gave me a $100 bill. Just out of nowhere. Completely unexpected. I didn't ask them, did God tell you to give this to me? I did not. I didn't explain to them in the moment what the $100 meant. It was a thing between me and God because I felt in that moment God was saying, I see you and I see your need. I see see your need. And sometimes little things like that, even though I know God loves me, we're going to talk about that in a minute, I know that God is there for me. I know as Roger said this morning, God does not change. His love for us does not change. But in that moment, It was like God said to me, I see you. I see your need. I know who you are. So I just want to encourage you this morning that that happened this week. And so I want to encourage you that God sees you. He knows you. And we're going to talk a bit more about that in a second. My testimony was not unrelated. You'll see how it connects very surely. Let's pray this morning as we come around his word. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, that it is living and active. It is not a dead language on paper. It is alive. It speaks to us. Lord, help us to receive. Holy Spirit, come to each person in this place, each person watching online. Have, them op- have open hearts to receive from you this morning. You would speak to them, and that they would know that you are there and that you see them, and you call them by name. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning... Before we start, I want to read to you a portion of Scripture from John 10. Uh, John 10, verse 25 to 30. It's five verses. And I want to read to you as a precursor to what I'm going to talk about this morning. And so John 10, uh, it'll be on the screen. It says this. Jesus answered them. So this is people are talking to Jesus. Jesus is speaking to the crowd. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me but you don't know, believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What well, I want to start with this morning is a promise a promise, Jesus' promise to you. His sheep hear his voice and they follow him. And his promise is that we receive eternal life. We receive eternal life. We will never perish. No one, nothing, will snatch us from his hand if we hear his voice and we follow him. That's his promise. Before we talk about anything else today, I want you to understand that for you who belong to Jesus, the promise is that you have eternal life. You will never, ever perish. And there is nothing, no one, who is able to snatch you from his hand. I want you to understand that. I want you to get that deep inside. And the key to this relationship, the key to the promise is this. His sheep hear his voice and they follow him. This morning I want to talk about voices. I want to talk about voices. Overcoming the noise of the world to hear the voice of our shepherd. It's a long title, I know. Overcoming the noise to hear the voice of our shepherd. Our lives are filled with voices. We live in a world where it's never been easier to have your say, to say what you think, to put it out there amongst the world to have people listen to. We live in a world of influencers, people who have followers on social media, who can say whatever they want and people will listen. We live in the world of the anonymous comment, You can comment on anything, on any post, on anything whatsoever. In total anonymity. People don't know you can make fake profiles. No one knows who you are. You can say whatever you want. There is zero accountability. None. Generations of people today are experiencing an unprecedented amount of voices voices competing for their attention. I think of my children The younger generation are experiencing today an unprecedented, unheard of amount of voices competing for their attention. And yet, do these voices give us any more information? Do they tell us any more truth? No. No, they don't. They're just voices, opinions. They are arguments, hearsay, accusations, clickbait, headlines, Ignorance and conspiracy, they're just noise. The world we live in is a noisy place, and somewhere, somehow, we're supposed to find, filter out this noise to detect, to define the voice of our shepherd. How do we overcome the noise so we can hear his voice? The first step, I believe, is understanding the noise that we're listening to. We've got to know the voices that are speaking to us. And so this morning I want to start up by looking at three distinct voices in the world. Three distinct voices. You could probably think of more, but these three I think are the most important. There are three voices that are vying for your attention. They want to get into your mind and speak to you and drown out his voice. Three voices that drown out his voice. And the first one is this. It's the voice of the world. The three voices. The first one is the voice of the world. The voice of the world comes in varied forms. Uh, popular opinion, the narrative of mainstream media, policies, the crowd, the mob. The world will try and tell you what is right and what is wrong. They will try and dictate to you what causes outrage, what you should be offended by, what you should be outraged by. But instead of trying to like tie down what those separate voices are, I, w- I want to I look at the Word, because I think in the Word we see the voice of the world in action. We see what it looks like and how it acts. And so we're going to look at Luke 23 today. It's a long scripture. We're going to break it up a little bit as we go along. It's a well-known account. It's the account of Jesus before Pilate, before his uh, trial, before he goes to the cross. Luke 23, verse 1. We're going to read a few verses. Then the whole company of them, this is after his arrest, and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, our king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he, as Jesus answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout Judea and from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. We're going to stop right there. The first thing the voice of the world does is this. It determines its own truth. The voice of the world determines its own truth. It will decide for itself what is true and what is not true. What is right and what is is wrong. Hear the voice of the crowd, specifically the Jewish leaders, the, the temple leaders. They tell lies about Jesus and paint them as truth. He's stirring up our nation. He's forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. What a load of rubbish. What did Jesus say? Give to God what is God's and give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But no, no. The world says, no, no. Jesus has been telling the world that he can't give money to Caesar. Lies. What rubbish. But no matter how outrageous the lie, when the voice is loud enough, it drowns out the truth. It drowns out the truth. The voice of the world is a loud voice. And it can be deafening. It still drowns out truth today. At the risk of being political, the world will tell you how you should vote in a referendum because one side is right and one side is wrong. Not going to get political. But in a saying that the world tells us what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is not. The world will tell us of the infallibility of evolution despite the many problems with that theory. The schools teach the Big Bang in, in, in classes. We watch TV and it tells you these things have been around for 165 million years. There's pucking numbers out of the air. Or the world will say that all religions lead to the same place. They're all the same. It doesn't matter. In the end, we all end up in the same place. Or simply that God can't possibly exist. There is no God. The world will decide for you what is true and what is not if you allow it to. These voices are loud and they drown out the truth. They will decide for people what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is not. Let's get back to the story. And when he learned, Pilate, that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some son son done by him. So he questioned him at length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently, accusing him. We should use that word more often in society, vehemently. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, sent him back to Pilate, And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that day. Before Before this day, they had been in enmity with each other. They hated each other. They tested one another. We'll talk about it in a second. The voice of the world will decide what is right and wrong, what is true and what is not. It will also decide what is acceptable. The voice of the world will decide what is acceptable. The louder the voice, the greater the conformity. The louder the voice the more people will just follow that voice because it's easier. People are afraid to question. They're afraid to challenge popular opinion. Pilate, not finding anything wrong with Jesus, I find no guilt in this man, is what he said. He decides instead to take advantage of an opportunity. He asks if Jesus is Galilean. And in fact, as he falls under Herod's jurisdiction, opportunity, Pilate is thinking. So he sends Jesus over to Herod, who happens to be in Jerusalem. And when Jesus arrives, Herod is glad. Herod wants to see Jesus. He's been longing to see Jesus. He wants to see a miraculous sign. you ever noticed that in the story before? That Herod was glad to see Jesus? That he wanted to see Jesus? You see, Jesus could have an out. He could have an out here. If Jesus pleases Herod, Herod can have him pardoned. If he performs a miraculous sign, Herod will think, this guy's amazing. We can't kill this guy. I want to keep him around and have him pardoned and Jesus gets let go. Jesus could have an out here. But what does Jesus do? What does he do? He says nothing. He says nothing. Jesus will not be someone's performing monkey. He will not be a court jester for people like Herod. Jesus will not be another person's political football. Pilate saw a way to create a friendship with Herod. And so he used Jesus to mend their broken relationship. I'll send him over there. And then Herod sent him back in fine clothes, dressed him up like he was some sort of toy for powerful men to use. The world will decide what is acceptable and what is it. Is it acceptable to use a man's very life to score political points. Do you think that's acceptable? No, No. do you think, no. Do you think it's acceptable to welcome a man who's facing judgment, whose life is on the line, and care only about him performing for you? Is that okay? No. But the world deems it as acceptable because they decide for themselves what is acceptable. For Pilate and Herod, they had no issue with doing this. They decided for themselves that it was okay. We live in a world that will determine what is acceptable and what isn't. What is right and what is not. When we know, we know that only God is in a position to determine right from wrong. Only God can decide what is right. Only God can decide what is wrong. But the world ignores God and decides for themselves. Let's finish the story. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time he said, why, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. The world determined that Jesus was deserving of death. Then they determined that it was okay, acceptable to crucify him. The third thing the voice of the world does is it drowns out reason. The voice of the world drowns out reason. Pilate repeated time and time again, I have found no guilt in this man. He's done nothing wrong. But each time they cried out, crucify him. Release to me Barabbas. Their voices drowned out, the only voice of reason, which happened to be Pilate, of all people. It says in verse 23, it says this, Their voices prevailed. Their voices prevailed. Reason. Reason did not prevail. Truth. Truth did not prevail. The voices did. The loud cries of the mob. A completely guilty man, a man imprisoned for murder, gets released. It's unthinkable. It's horrible to think about. But we know. We know this story. We know that it's true. But that is the power of the voice of the world. It is loud, and it will determine what is right and wrong. And it will drown out any voice that says contrary to what it has decided. If we are not careful, the voices we hear on the TV or the radio, on social media, from press conferences, in our own homes, in our own workplaces the voices that tell us how we should look, how we should think, what we should do, how we should behave, they threaten to drown out the one voice we should be listening to. The voice of our shepherd. The voice of our God who desires to speak with us. He desires to lead us. But will we hear him amidst the noise that surrounds us? So the first voice we need to be careful of is the voice of the world. The second one, is the voice of the enemy? It is one thing to be wary of the loud cries of the world. We must be alert to the voice of our enemy. Listen to Jesus' words in John eight. He speaks to the crowd, and he's having a discussion with them. And they're saying things, and he's saying things. And he says this in John eight forty four. He says this to the crowd. Jesus is, he pulls no punches. You are of your father, the devil. Where way to start. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus outlines in no uncertain terms the very character of our enemy. He describes the devil, Satan, as a murderer that there is no truth in him. His character is pure deception. He is a liar and the father of lies. Lies descend from him and spread across our world as he attempts to deceive the people. We have an enemy and he is dangerous. But he's not dangerous because he can win. Because he's already lost. Jesus has already won the victory. We know that. And he knows that. The enemy knows that he's lost because he failed to get rid of Jesus. That's why he's dangerous. Because he knows he's losing. And his goal is to use his lies to take down as many people with him on the way down. He will lie and lie and lie whatever it takes to deceive people from the truth. He exists only to do one thing and that is to destroy, The enemy seeks to destroy. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to destroy your hope. He wants to destroy our salvation, the salvation of the world. That is his goal, to destroy. 1 Peter 5.8 says it like this. He says, Peter writing, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. If you had any misconceptions about who the enemy was, please see the picture. He is a roaring lion seeking to destroy, and his weapon is lies. That's all he do. That's his pure character, is deception. The enemy is on the hunt. He's looking to lure people away from the truth with his lies. The very crowd that Jesus was speaking to, they did not comprehend of the truth. They didn't see the truth before them. They didn't understand. They were being deceived. That's why Jesus is so blunt with them. Because they do not see. He calls them your father, the devil. Your father, the devil. Why does he say that? Because they don't know that the devil has pulled lies over their eyes. They're completely unaware. The enemy has pulled a vow over their eyes and they cannot see the truth. Standing before them that Jesus is the Messiah that Jesus was sent to save them, that he is the Son of God. They couldn't see it. Instead, we are called to be sober-minded, clear in our thinking, watchful and alert, that we aren't deceived. To the world, the enemy lies. Convinces them that his lies are truth. He convinces the world that he doesn't exist. It's all okay. There's nothing to fear when you die. It's okay. You can decide whatever you want to do. It's fine. You don't need salvation. Whatever you want to do, you just do. You do you. That's okay. It's a lie. There is consequence. The world cannot determine its own truth without consequence. But for those of us who believe, for those of us who know the truth, what does the enemy do? He seeks to accuse. The enemy seeks to accuse. Because he knows that we know the truth. So he brings accusation. He seeks to accuse the believers, the church. In Revelation 12, we see this, Revelation 12, 10. And I heard a loud voice in the heavens saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. It's a great start. Sounds great. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Also great who accuses them day and night before our God. Accuses. Accusations. We know that he's already lost. Because it says he's been thrown down. But what is he doing in the meantime? What is he doing? Accusing. The name Satan literally means the accuser. That's all he can do, is lie and accuse. The idea is that We're like in some sort of trial. We face Judge, who is God, and Jesus is the defense. And on the other side is the enemy, and he's throwing accusations at us. You're not good enough. Your sins are too great. You don't deserve to be saved. Jesus doesn't really love you. God doesn't have a plan for you. He makes accusations against us. You don't deserve grace. Jesus didn't die for you, maybe other people, but not you. He stands in the courtroom accusing us. But we must have sober thinking. We have to know that we have been made new by Jesus. We are a new creation. The old is gone. The old life cannot be held against us because we are new. Our enemy comes against us with accusations. And if we are not alert, if we don't have sober thinking, then his voice will drown out the shepherd's voice. The voice of the one who has saved us, redeemed us, made us new, made us his own. That's the voice we need to listen to. The voice of the enemy has no power if you know who you belong to. The voice of the enemy has no power. His lies have no power. His accusations have no power. They have no basis in truth. Because why? Because we have been saved. We must be wary of the voice of the world, the voice of the enemy. And the last one, we must be wary of our own voice. Third in our list of voices to overcome is that of our own. And our voice is potentially the most destructive on this list. Because sometimes we, can, we hear the clamour from the world saying, making their own truth. And we recognise that it's not truth because we have truth. We can hear the voice of the enemy accusing us, but we stand firm on the word of God that we have been saved. But our own voice is harder to defend against because in the quiet of the night, when you're trying to fall asleep, you start speaking to yourself in ways that you should not. You start thinking things about yourself that aren't true. It's harder to defend your own voice because it's so familiar. You've known your voice all your life. We need to defend against the words that we speak over ourselves. Our voice can be louder than the world's voice. And when we're struggling, we look in the mirror, our own voice can be more damaging than any accusation the enemy can throw at us. I want to look at an individual who had issues with his voice. Matthew 16. We only look at Peter, of course. Matthew 16, 21. And we know this encounter. It's quite famous. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your things on the mind of God, but on the things of man. I love that encounter. Jesus is so abrupt. For Peter, the voice that exposed him was not the voice of the world, it was not the voice of the enemy, it was his own voice that exposed him. It's one of the most famous interactions between Jesus and Peter. Why? Because Jesus reveals to Peter both the seriousness and the danger of our own voice when we speak without thinking, when we speak without having the mind of things, of things of God on our mind. See, Jesus is rightfully warning his disciples what has to happen. I must go to Jerusalem. I must be arrested. I must be found guilty on trial. I have a fake trial and I must be put on the cross. I have to die. He's trying to tell them what he has to endure so they're warned, so they're prepared. And instead of taking heed, Peter steps in to tell Jesus what's going to happen. Far be it from you, Lord, that will never happen to you. I will determine my own truth. I will decide what is right and wrong. Sound familiar? Peter is determining for himself what will happen. And Jesus' response is as swift as it is pointed. It's as quick as it is cutting to the core. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, accuser. Because he's been deceived. Peter has been deceived into thinking he can determine his own truth. Jesus calls out the very problem with Peter's voice. You're not speaking the things of God. That's the problem with our own voice. When we aren't listening to the shepherd's voice, our voice doesn't speak the things of God. If we're not listening to our shepherd, I mean, listening to the other voices, then we will not say the things of God. We will speak our own truth. You see, Peter wanting Jesus not to die, it's not a bad thing. You can understand it, right? He's his friend. He loves Jesus. Him wanting to protect Jesus is understandable. The problem is not with Peter's sentiment. It's lovely. It's admirable in a way. It's his motivation. Peter's motivation is the issue. His mind and therefore his voice is not set on the things of God, the plans that God has already put in place. Peter struggled with this all throughout his time with Jesus. In the garden, when they came for Jesus, the guards came to arrest him. What did Peter do? Did he recognize God's plan? No, he pulled out a sword and cut a dude's ear off. What are you doing, Peter? Jesus goes, Put your sword away. Crazy man, what are you doing? Because he was still trying to save Jesus instead of letting Jesus save him. What are you doing, Peter? You don't get it. When Jesus was on trial, did he set his mind on the things of God? No. He went from protecting Jesus to protecting himself and denied even knowing him because he was afraid. He was afraid. How we speak to ourselves The words we use expose our thoughts. They reveal our thinking. And if we are not careful, our voice will drown out the voice of our shepherd. Our words, our own words will drown out the truth. And the truth is this. It's simple. Here's the truth. God says we're created for a purpose. God says that you are created for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's Masterpiece. God's masterpiece. ESV says that we are God's handiwork. He crafted us himself. We are a masterpiece from the God's own hands. But unless we have a revelation of that truth, then our own voice can become our enemy. Because we won't believe it. And if we don't believe it, we won't speak it. We won't say to ourselves, God made you. God saved you. Look in the mirror and say, I am God's masterpiece. You might be uncomfortable saying those words. I don't care. You are God's masterpiece. He made you. Because he was bored? No, because he loves you. He made you so you could experience his love. Have a relationship with him. You are his masterpiece. And if we don't recognize that truth, we don't grab hold of that truth, then the words we speak will not reflect the truth. They will drown out the fact that God has made you. But we can learn. We can get it. I know we can. Do you know why I know we can? Because if Peter can, any of us can. If Peter can figure it out, we can figure it out. We know that Peter did this. Before we put the verse up, I'm going to give you background. We're going to look at Acts in a second. Acts. So, Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen again. He's talked to his disciples. He's ascended to heaven. Peter and the other disciples, they've started the church. They're doing their thing, they're going around. And in Acts 4, we read this thing. And it says, not yet, it says that Peter and John were outside the beautiful gate. And there's a man there who was begging. Been begging all his life. 40 plus years. Begging. And Peter and John walk past. And the man puts out his arms. And Peter says, famously, gold nor silver I have. By the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man gets up. He's healed. It's a miracle. He's healed. And what does Peter and John get for their good deed? They get arrested. Woo! They get arrested. You can't have people going around healing people in Jesus' name. They get arrested and they get questioned. Who questions them? Do you know who questions them? The high priest Annas and Caiaphas. Who are those two men? Where have we seen them before? They're the same men who questioned Jesus. Jesus. They're the men who had Jesus arrested. They're the men who had Jesus put on the cross. And now they have Peter and John in the room with them. And they're questioning them. In the room is the man who was healed and he gives his testimony. And they're talking, they're going back and forth. And Annas and Caiaphas, two very, very powerful men, say to Peter and John, do not speak about Jesus anymore. I forbid you. Go from this place and speak no more of the name of Jesus. And what does Peter do? Verse 19 Peter and John answered them Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. This is the same Peter who tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross, who cut a dude's ear off, and who denied Jesus because he was afraid. And yet here we see him in Acts 4 in front of the very men who put Jesus on the cross. And he says, we should listen to you rather than God. You can decide for yourself. But we will speak of what we have seen and heard. You will not stop us from speaking about Jesus. And they didn't. Peter and John went from that place and the church grew. Peter faced the same men. The last time he had seen these men Was in the backyard when Jesus was on trial, when he denied them. There was Annas and Caiaphas interrogating Jesus. And that moment, Peter ran, afraid for his life. But here is Peter in front of those same men saying, Judge us if you want. Judge us if you want. But we will not listen to you, we will listen to God. And we will go from this place and speak of what we have seen and heard. What changed? What was the difference? What did happen in Peter's life? Peter finally got it. He understood that he was made for a purpose. He understood that he was God's masterpiece. He was created for a purpose. That God had a plan. This whole time, I've been trying to destroy God's plan, but God's plan happened anyway. Peter knows now that if the God, the Father, is on his side and he is walking in the plans of God, nothing can stop him. Not even Annas, and certainly not Caiaphas. They can't stop me, because I'm walking in the plans that God has for me. I tried to stop the plans that God had for Jesus. You see, how that turned out. If I'm walking in the plans that God has for me, nothing can stop me. This is the truth, that all those voices will stop if you let them. They drown out the simple fact that God made you, You're his masterpiece. And if our shepherd is with you, then nothing can stop you. That is the simple truth. But we need to hear his voice. We need to hear his voice. So how do we do that? How do we hear the shepherd's voice? We recognize the voices and what they're trying to do. But how do we hear the father's voice? How do we stop the other voices from drowning him out? If you want to step into the truth that God is speaking over you, into the knowledge that he has made you, that he is his masterpiece, that he has a purpose for you, that you are a part of his plan, then you need to position yourself to hear him. The answer lies back where we started in John 10. A little bit early in that chapter. John 10, verse 2, says this. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The shepherd hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they not know the voice of strangers. He has called you by name. He knows you because you are one of his own. And what is not of our own? Those are the voices. They're not. They're not part of him. They're not part of us. They are like strangers. We need to treat those other voices like strangers. And what do we do? We do not follow those voices because they are strange to us. The first step is muting the other voices. We need to mute those voices out. We need to shut them down. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take thought every captive to obey Christ. We need to get a little bit like Peter. We need to destroy arguments and opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God. We need to get our sword out and start cutting up things that are not of God. Things that set themselves up against him. The enemies of the enemy, the are enemy that say there is no judgment, I'm not real, nothing to worry about. There's lies from him that says you can decide your own truth. We need to get our sword out and cut them up. That's an argument against the knowledge of God. We need to seek and destroy anything that is not of God. We take that voice, we take it captive, and we place it under the weight of the truth of Jesus Christ. The popular opinion, the... The, the, the newsreel you see, the panel shows that give you their opinions, all those videos you watch when you should be doing something useful with your time instead of scrolling, we all do it. We take them captive and we weigh it against the truth of the gospel so we see that it has no power to deceive us. Our own voice that makes us question what to believe how we see ourselves, what we can and cannot achieve, what we cannot and cannot do, who we really are, we take those voices captive. and We place the full weight of truth upon them. And then we stand upon the word of God as our foundation and crush the lies underneath. We stand on the word of God that declares that we belong to our shepherd and we are his masterpiece. So we mute every other voice. And then we've got to make time for our shepherd to speak to us. It's a simple two-step plan. Mute the other voices. Find your quiet place. You've got to find your quiet place. This is where it gets real. This is where you have to actually change your behaviour and change your routine. We need to find a quiet place so God can talk to us. Now I know. I know that God can talk to you anywhere at any time. understand that. We can talk to God any place, any time. We understand that. Pastor Skip Smith last week was talking about We're here. We prophesy because God spoke to us in that moment. So God can speak to us whenever. But there is something powerful about intentionally finding your quiet place. God doesn't want your spare time, He wants your best time. We don't give our spare time to God, we give Him our best time. We carve out time and we make Him the priority, we set Him first. We need to find our quiet place. Because when we find our quiet place to sit in his presence, we become attuned to his voice. We begin to recognize the voice of our shepherd much more clearly. We get less distracted by those other voices. What did Jesus say about this? Matthew 6.6, 6, he says this, But well, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Go into your room and shut the door. Don't give me your spare time when you're making coffee at work. Do you need to find a literal room? Maybe you do. I don't know. But you need to find your place. Whatever your place is for you. You need to find your place where it's just you and God. A secret time with him. And he'll reward you. With what? With his presence. He'll reward you with his presence. He'll reward you with his voice. And he will speak to you. A time when you are with him and no one else. You're with him and his word. This is where we mute everything. Where we overcome the, every other voice trying to drown him out. He's the only voice we need that brings life. I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to ask the musicians if they would come. We're going to finish with that one final verse. Ephesians 6, verse 17. And it's part of a passage, but you all know well, the armour of God. I just want to read a little portion of it. It says this, And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Why is it the helmet of salvation? The sword of the Spirit, we get that. The sword of the Spirit is our weapon. The word of God is our weapon. Just as Jesus used the word of God in the wilderness to tear down the enemy's temptation, his lies, we can use the word of God as our weapon, yes? So we get that, the sword of the Spirit, we understand that. Why the helmet of salvation? What does a helmet do? It covers our head and it covers our ears. The helmet of salvation protects us from the voices that attempt to drown out the voice of the shepherd. The thoughts that set themselves up against the truth. What truth? That we are saved. Salvation. We have received salvation. The voice of our shepherd who has called us by name is leading us further and further into the revelation that everything has been done. That Jesus did everything for us. And no matter what that voice is, try to shut down the truth. It can't because we know that we are saved. We put on the helmet of salvation because we know above all things, above any lie or accusation, we are saved. We are a new creation. And what Jesus has done can't be undone. If you follow the shepherd, you are saved. And remember... Nothing can snatch us from his hand. Nothing. No one. Do not be led astray by the stranger's voice. Take every thought, every voice, every argument, every opinion, every belief that does not declare Jesus is Lord, that he is your shepherd, that you are his masterpiece, crafted by God's own hand. Take it captive and take it with you into your quiet place. Place it under the truth of the gospel at your Father's feet and see him crush it. Then our shepherd will speak truth to us. He will speak truth to you. And he will lead you in the purpose he has for you. I want you to stand this morning if you will. There is not a person in this room who I believe doesn't want to hear the shepherd's voice. Yes? Yeah. We know that. But too often we allow the other voices to drown him out. But that doesn't have to be the case. We have the power to drown out the other voices. We know what they are. And we know where they come from. And so what do we do? We take captive. We take captive. With every eye closed and every head bowed this morning. I want to pray for us as a church. Pray for those at line, watching online. I believe this morning that God wants to say to you, this is a word that I got when I was in the prayer meeting this morning. God wants to say to you, You are my masterpiece. You are my masterpiece. When you look in the mirror, think nothing but I am God's masterpiece. No other voice, no other accusation, no other lie. God is saying to you, you're my masterpiece. I have saved you. I have redeemed you. I have called you my own. I call you by name. I don't want your spare time. I want your best time. I want to speak with you. I believe God is saying to every person here, will you make time for me? Will you meet with me in your quiet place? Right now, as everyone's, I want you just to drown out any other voice. If you need any other thing that's in your hands, put it down. Whether it be your phone, whether it be anything else, maybe you're thinking about what you're going to do after church this morning. I want you to drown and mute all those other voices, all those other thoughts right now. And I want you to stand and I want you to imagine yourself in your mind putting on the helmet of salvation. How you view that helmet, up to you. It can be a really cool looking helmet. It could be a bike helmet. I don't care. I want you to visualize yourself putting on the helmet of salvation. It covers your mind and it covers your ears. And in the security of that helmet, in that space, the only voice you can hear is the voice of Jesus. And As we stand in this moment, I just want you to stand for a second in silence. Just be in that moment, just for a second. This is what it means to stand in His presence. This is what it means to make time for Him. No other thought, no distractions. You've drowned out every other voice, and you're listening for Him. This week, will you make time for Him every day? This is where it Truly, through. You've got to change your routines. You've change your behavior because God wants to meet with you. Our shepherd wants to speak to you. He has so much good for you, so much good stuff to say. Will you listen to him? Will you make time? Not a second here or a minute there when you feel like you have time, but will you actually set time and listen to his voice? because it's only the shepherd's voice that will speak truth to you, that you are his masterpiece, that he has saved you, that he calls you by name, that as his sheep we hear his voice and that nothing will ever snatch us from his hand. Lord, I pray this morning Every single person, I lift them up to you. I pray, Lord, that they would declare, they would make commitment right now, in their moment, just you and him. In this moment, they would commit to you and they would say to you, Lord, I will make time for you. I will listen to your voice and I will do it again and again until I get more and more attuned to hearing what you have to say. I pray for every single person here that they would make that commitment, that they would change their routines to find time for you. A moment to sit down and read your word. Listen to your voice with nothing else around. Lord, you want to speak to us. You want to speak to us. That alone should amaze us. That alone should just be so amazing and just unbelievable that you want to speak to us. The creator of the heavens and the earth wants to speak to every single person here individually. Lord, help us to go from this place. Help us to carve time, to make time, to set aside time to listen to you. Lord, I pray that every one person here, every single person here would know in a shadow of a doubt that they are your masterpiece that you have made them, that you have saved them. That you love them, you've called them by name. No matter what they're going through, you are there. No matter what things that they're finding difficult in life, what struggles, what breakthroughs they need, you know God because you've called them by name. You see every single person here. You see everyone. So help us see you, Father. Let us take the time and step into the truth, the revelation that you have made us for a purpose and that if you are with us, nothing can stop us. Let's believe it. Let's step out into the truth. It is our confidence. It is our confidence you see us and you love us and you have a plan for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let us not leave from this place the same as we came in, but let us go out of this place a different person, a different person who seeks to spend time with our Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I hope that in that moment, maybe God was speaking to you. In that moment, you understood what it felt like to step into his presence and have nothing else but God with you. The band's going to finish off by playing, but I'm going to invite you. If you have any need at all, it doesn't matter what it is, any need at all, we're happy to pray for you down the front. If you want to have morning tea, that's fine. But if you have a need, don't come into his house and then leave his house without standing before him and asking him for help. Pastor Jim, Pastor Pavey, myself, we're happy to pray with you. Whatever that need, you have to tell us what your need is. because between you and God. We will stand with you. Let us remember and go from this place. He has called you by name. You are his masterpiece. And he has a purpose for you. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.